Hello and welcome to the Dev DC podcast. My name is Shay Reardon and today we have Jill Perubovic joining us. Welcome, Jill. Hey, it's great to be here, Shay. It's great to see you again, Jill. Thanks for being on this morning. So Jill agreed to join us this morning um, to talk about her career, uh, speak about what she's been seeing in the industry, and then share any advice or insights that she might have for our listeners here. And just a quick background on Jill. Uh, she spent the majority of her career in technology right here in the DMV, and most recently was an SVP at Discovery, who obviously has been in the news a little bit lately. But that's just a small part of her journey. Uh, she started at Help Desk and today is actually running her own practice. So, Jill, let's, uh, let's get right into it and uh, have you kick off your story uh, wherever you want it to begin. Well, I think we have to start at the top, right? Um, I was uh, raised in a little teeny town in Kansas and um, had a two-year degree in business and then just decided to get in my uh, little car that was a little bit like the Flintstones car, 150 bucks to my name and roll out to the East Coast where my brother and sister-in-law lived for a short period of time. And then they went back to Kansas. So I was sort of on my own out there. Uh, and I landed a job uh, working at Cable and Wireless, which was a telecom company, um, as a, a help desk analyst. Um, and I was terrified to do that job, but I had an amazing boss there uh, and she believed in me. And the things I learned from her were um, sort of the basis for my leadership style, right? Like she was just always uh, charged up and keeping us uh, in the game. I was always wanting to be the top competitor. Uh, it was always myself and one other girl that were fighting to take the most calls, solve the most problems, et cetera. Um, so that was sort of the start of it all. And then from there, I sort of became known as a person that could take something that's challenging uh, and, and break it down into understandable bits. So right. I moved on there to be like a documentation specialist, then user acceptance testing, end-to-end um, -end testing, DevOps, like it just kept growing and escalating as I went through my career. Yeah, I mean, you've definitely uh, done some transformational projects and you brought up DevOps, right? So uh, things ranging from bringing DevOps to Verizon in like the mid 2000s and then even like broadcasting the Olympics in the UK. Uh, I'm curious, like, were there any like principles, leadership principles that you followed when you started to take on these transformational projects? I think one of the main things I learned was like data, data, data. Uh, I call okay. it data, data, data and hold, hold, hold. Uh, and that kind of stems from having network operations under me for a bit of time. So that crisis management aspect where uh, it gets, you can very easily uh, make some assumptions, right? If, if a problem happened and you had a, a change that took place in the network, it's easy to assume that it was that network change that caused the problem. I think teaching yourself not to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And just holding until you have the facts, uh, but also being out loud. Um, so when we would have a crisis, uh, at, at the office, I would always go to my boss and say, hey, we've got something going on. And basically, I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> okay. But I'm letting you know, this is what we know so far. And we're researching, right? So that so that if it's important enough, uh, they could take it to the next level and say, we're on it. We just don't know what's wrong yet. So part of that data holding, not making assumptions, you know, and then also a key component for me is kind of listening to the business. Uh, and so if you're, you have a big project, usually it's driven from the top, right? right? And they have specific things that they want to get accomplished. 
And as much as you want to accomplish those things, you also have to take into account that it has to be usable for your business users. Um, so I always like to kind of work from the back up. I have my requirements from whatever the project is and whatever it is we need to accomplish. Mm -hmm. But I also know that it has to be supportable uh, and like the users have to be able to grab hold of that. Sure, so it's sure. a combination of, okay, meet in the middle. What are the requirements? What's really doable? And then if you, you know you need to, having the guts to go back to your leadership team and say, we can't do that, right? But what we can do, is this instead, which is probably a, a close assimilation to whatever was wanted in the first place. Okay, so I mean, you're keeping the end user in mind, right? Whether it's external or internal, and then you're drawing the what is possible um, based on what the you know C level folks actually are asking of the business. Right. Um, curious if you could tell me a story or us a story uh, about. Um, you know, a specific instance where you had to take on a project that perhaps you got a lot of growth out of? It would definitely be um, when I was at Verizon. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a lot, but um, sure. the one that sticks out in my mind that I feel like was sort of a, a turning point in my career. Um, we were in bankruptcy. Uh, it was MCI, WorldCom, Verizon, right? So we're yeah. in bankruptcy. We've gone from about 200 people to 16. Um, so, you know, it's just like keeping your fingers in the dikes. Uh, but we were getting ready to support VoIP services. So there was this massive change moment where they'd outsourced all of the order entry staff. That's about 1600 people. Okay. We had four major system changes that were going in to sort of automate this voice over IP platform. Uh, and it was horrible. <laughs> uh, so if you can imagine a time where nobody understands anything, that's kind of what was going on. And I can remember being on the outage calls and the executives just saying, like, just pick the top five things. But there were so many things wrong. It was, we didn't even know where to start. Yeah. Um, so what I ended up doing is just, I'm like, just give me data. So they gave me all the system errors from our, our workflow system. And I started parsing through that, like pivot tables, VLOOKUP, whatever I needed to do. And I was working about 100 hours a week. And I would get up at 2 a.m. and just, because I didn't want my husband to know, <laughs> and I would start pounding through. So finally, I landed on this one specific error uh, that, that it was the one that happened the most. And I had to ask a lot of questions, which can be unnerving as a leader, right? Like, what is the, what really does this step mean, et cetera? Long story short, the users didn't understand the system. Despite all the training that had happened, et cetera, what ended up happening was the users needed to, to uh, do a manual step before they clicked complete this one workflow item. They didn't understand that. They were just clicking it complete and the system was advancing it. So I remember there was one order that 50 times the step had been reset. So once it reached that certain step, then IT would have to reset it, then it'd go back to the users and they'd do the same thing because they didn't understand yeah, what right. needed to happen. So once I understood that, I put together quick training, got the users together, got everybody together. We went through it and it was like this big aha moment of what needed to happen. And then I just did the same thing for all the other areas until we got to the end of it. So that was probably about six months of 100 hours a week, just going and going and going until we got it fixed. But this also was a good learning lesson for me that no matter how broken something feels in IT, there's always an answer. Always. 
right? And that gives you some sense of calm, even when you're on like outage calls, it's like, we'll figure this out, we'll fix it. It might take longer than you want. It might cost more money than you want. It might not be the ideal solution, Right. but there's always a way to fix, you know, whatever is going on. I love that perspective, right? There's always a way to fix whatever's always. going on. And, uh, you know, we chatted a little bit about, uh, like COVID, right. And, uh, obviously that is, a something that is once and, uh, hopefully a lifetime for everybody. And, um, I would love to hear, uh, how you helped, um, you know, the team navigate that experience when you're at discovery. I mean, everybody has a different um, vibe coming out of COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. For me, just because of my personality, I thrive off of like the most impossible situations. So when you've had those years of sort of managing crisis, you learn a methodology, I call it like the metrodome where it's just like this tick, 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 like time's ticking, it's okay, you need mm -hmm. to figure this out. Um, so we knew in February uh, because my team's in 32 countries, right? Sits in right. 32 countries. We support 220 countries and ter territories. We knew that this isn't gonna be good. So we had a daily meeting every day to sort of pull everybody together, starts out small, grows to be the network team, the infrastructure team, the infosec team, the broadcast team, right? Yeah. So we have all of our pieces and parts together. I think the benefit at Discovery is that there's just some amazingly smart humans uh, that have awesome personalities. So our ability to come together and just do whatever it took um, was amazing. My team supported all the enterprise users. So in every country, every user, all things they touched, all their laptops, their uh, enterprise software tools, et cetera. So what we ended up doing was just on a dime within a matter of two weeks, changing all of our processes and procedures, right? Get the team together, no idea is a bad idea, we used to have the in-person support, right? Where you would take yeah. their laptop and do the thing and hand it back to them. Um, that of course changed, right? Where we are coaching our at-home people how to do the, take the steps or whatever, which was very stressful on the team. Yeah, sure. um, so I credit the team, all the teams at Discovery uh, for just coming together and revamping everything. Uh, we got to, I think, 98% of folks working from home in short order. That broadcast piece, you know, some of that was a little bit harder, but the teams there, just we were on the phone late nights, coming up with solutions, getting equipment delivered. Um, my team still had to go into the office to receive equipment, to redistribute it, et cetera. So okay. there was a, a lot of challenge around mental health in the end. And yeah. when I say around mental health, I mean, not only for those at home workers, but also for the folks who were still going into the office to be able to supply the at home workers with what they needed. Uh, but nobody broke. Uh, everybody kept it together. But as a leader, you know, you really have to realize you need to solve that initial piece, get everybody working from home, make sure you can send them equipment to home. You know, you go through all the, the pieces and then you take a breath and you kind of survey. And the next thing that was clear is that the mental health of my team was was kind of at risk. Yeah, right. So I was sending out a daily note to them uh, and that turned from being like, no, people can't take their chairs with them. No, they can't take their monitors with them, right? Just the, the 
dynamic change of the day to celebrating all their successes and all the acts of heroism that were taking place. And there were some amazing things that people did. And then the last mile of that was, you know, what can I do for them? And I was known for being the cookie lady making cookies. Uh, so I said, you give me your address, I'll send you cookies. And I could only do it in the US because we couldn't ship them overseas. But I would send off boxes of cookies with a little handwritten note. And I think what I was most surprised about uh, was the responses, which I never expect to get any responses, but the responses back, especially from gentlemen, uh, kind of pouring their heart out on yeah. what was going on with them. So, you know, you had the work stuff going on, and then that's kind of gave people the opportunity to talk if they needed to talk in a private setting mm -hmm. uh, to get information from them and kind of help them through whatever moment so that they knew they weren't alone. And that, I don't think that really has to stop because it's still this ongoing pressure, you yeah. know, for all that at home delivery and those folks at home. So to all the service people out there uh, and all the people supporting the at home workers, I can't, they deserve more than is possible to give to them for all their, their uh, support. Any idea how many cookies you sent out? Uh, I sent out 60 boxes of cookies. Each okay. box had like three different cookies in it. Uh, and it, believe me, anybody wants cookies, put your address in the, and I will send you cookies in the U.S. That's going to be a snippet, just so you know. We're, we're going to have that out. <laughs> Thousands of people are going to read that. <laughs> My team can tell you I'm a good cookie maker. Uh, so, Jill, I'm hearing some awesome things, right? So you pack up your car, you move to Virginia, seemingly because it's just a better opportunity. You know, your brother was there, but then he moved. But it's a better opportunity for you to, I guess, explore avenues of your career. Uh, you know, you, you pack 60 boxes and ship them out. Um, like, where do you get like this fire from that has allowed you to, you know, tackle these, uh, I guess, these hurdles head on, right? And in unique ways. Um, where does that come um, from? I think there's a couple of things. First, I think you have to have a zest for life. And, you know, there's all sorts of personality tests out there. Mm -hmm. I took one recently. I was working with a, a job coach and she said, you, you have zest that came up in your list of like top five. And that is really rare. There's not a lot of people that have like the zest for life. So I, I don't know what it is about me. I definitely have been coached over my lifetime that um, I need to slow down because people can't keep up. So even though I've been in IT for 30 years, uh, I still find it amazing to wake up each day and want to like tackle the world and have the way the world on my shoulders. I just love the pressure of needing to sort. It's funny, I when I did the budget at Discovery, they said I was like the matrix, right? Like I could just look and boom, that's it. That's what's wrong. And, but that takes practice. You know, you can, it, that doesn't happen overnight. I'm not smart enough to just look at something and see it. I have to kind of absorb what's going on. Once I figure it out, it's that that problem's dead, right? I can nail it. So part of it's a zest for life. I think the other part of it is having a special needs son. So our son is 25. Uh, he has autism. He's in a group home in Maryland. Thank you, Maryland. You are amazing for your services. Um, and when you have a child that's innately ornery <laughs> and then their special needs, um, there's no advocate for you. As parents, you are the advocate, right? So mm -hmm. part of my ability to solve problems comes from having to work with him over the years because, the, you know, pre-internet, uh, there's 
there's nothing really to help you solve those problems. You can't go to the internet and Google how to stop your son from chewing the elastic in his socks or how to stop your son from chewing the windows when it's a storm, right? Like that's just something you have to figure out. And once you've gone through like, and it's, it was like this challenge, like he would do something, we would figure out the solution. He'd do something else. And then we're like, okay, this is like a game now. Who's smarter? you or us, right? I'm not gonna get mad at you. I'm just gonna take on every challenge you throw my way and, and we're gonna figure out a new way forward. I think that was one of the primary things that gave me the courage to sort of be out loud and stand up for what feels is, is not right, whether it's for him or in the office. And then also that creativity that just like any problem, there's a solution. It might not be a normal solution, but it's a solution. And you might also be looked at very in a very unpopular way um, when you're trying to solve that. And I'm going to give one specific example. Um, so Chase is our son's name. Mm -hmm. And he used to walk into a room and just go after the weak link. Uh, he just that's just what he did. Like, who is the weakest person in this room? I am going to go after them and I'm just going to like make their life terrible. So he went after the PTA's um, daughter, so the president of the PTA at school. Uh, and so she pulled me aside. She's like, listen, uh, your son keeps attacking my daughter and that has to stop. I'm like, okay, let me think on it. So my solution that I came back with for him was he didn't like marks on his hand. Um, so I sat them both down and I had like a little Sharpie on a curly cord and I put it around her wrist. And I said, Chase, she has the power to mark on you. And he was like, no, 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 mama, no, no. I'm like, oh yeah, she's got pen and she can mark on you whenever she wants. And uh, she never actually had to carry the pen, but in his mind, he's like, she might have that pen in her pocket. He, and he never went after her again or any other kid for that matter. Um, but the mom was not happy with what I'd come up with as the solution, uh, which is like indicative of business, right? Like you might come up with a solution that feels unpopular but you have to try be willing to try almost anything and if it doesn't work then great you go on to the next but i mean i wouldn't advise putting curly cords with sharpies on everybody's wrists and having them go mark on people but yeah uh, in the end he learned to tolerate the marking on the hand uh so that's another aspect of it right if you mark on your his hand enough then he'll learn to be okay with it he thinks he's one because you know, oh, that doesn't bother me anymore. And I'm like, you didn't win, we won, because yeah. now you accept a mark on your hand instead of going crazy. Okay, so um, it's interesting. So Zest for Life and then working with Chase, right? And those are very, uh, I'd say like deep personal things, Jill, um, that uh, is unique for uh, some leaders to share, right? Um, I am curious when you're managing people, it seems like you bring your whole self to work, right? You are, you know, what you are and you're very good at what you do for work. And then, you know, you're very good, you know, managing outside of your nine to five, but clearly you're working more than nine to five. Cause you said you put a hundred hours in a week. How do you, um, help, how do you, how do you manage people? You know, like, how do you, uh, not just look at what they're doing from an output, from a business standpoint, but, um, you know, help them succeed in life, you know, because you're, you're shipping these cookies, you're, you're seemingly caring about the, the entire individual. And I'm just curious about like your management, uh, like style. 
so my leadership style uh, comes from, I would say, years of, of listening and watching leaders I've been under or those around them. I call it the chalkboard of life. So on my chalkboard, I've got the do this, don't do that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, don't do that side. It's lengthy, right? And those are even some things that I've done that I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do that again. That goes on the don't do this. Uh, but on the do that side, being there for your people, pushing your people to do things they're not comfortable with. In my last role, I wasn't comfortable with anything. I mean, maybe one thing, right? And it was just like this shovel of, you know, can you do this? Not really. I'm not you know, smart enough, capable enough, you are. You are smart enough and capable enough, right? And that's why you hire people who are brilliant to work for you, because as a leader, you need to be strategic, right? You need to understand, but you need those people who really have those skills and you need to understand the con, but you need skills that you're just there to help guide, you know, and push them down, but also just continue to challenge them with things that they don't think they're capable of. I would say my bosses never taught me how to do things. In fact, there's often like the, you need to go figure it out thing, which is very unnerving, mm -hmm. but doing that, figuring it out makes it make a lot more sense to you. And they wouldn't give it to you if they didn't believe in you. So I think constantly pushing my team to take on more, do more, be more, and also let them fail, right? I would always say, we're going to pilot something. If it fails, it was just a pilot. It's fine. We'll pick it up. We'll do it again. Um, also, that methodology of like change, where anytime we're working on a big software release, a big anything, you get to a certain point and you're like, okay, that's it. Everybody stop planning. No amount of planning is going to make this better. We know we're going to have issues. It's okay. We'll pick up, we'll fix, and we'll move on. And if it fails, it's my fault. And if it's successful, it's you guys get to celebrate in it, right? So mm -hmm. letting them know that you have an expectation of imperfection uh, and that you'll also take that on as your responsibility and just being okay with it. I mean, there was a point in time in my career where I had a big change assigned to me that I just was sure I was gonna fail at. Um, but I had to believe in my team and they had to believe in me. And so I you know, was said to them, I'm like, if this fails, it's my fault, but it's not going to fail because you're not going to let it fail. We're not going to let it fail. We will figure it out together. So I think a lot of it comes from just what I've learned over the years from my own bosses, but some of it is just my desire to have connectedness with my team, with anybody around me, which yeah. sometimes isn't always received well um, from people, but but mostly I would say the the bulk of the population uh likes that connectedness some some not so much right um you know that those are great i like the chalkboard of life i think that's great the do's and don'ts and learn from the people around you and uh then also taking your own uh i guess twist to it right and your own personality on, on how to manage um so that's great advice for for that side of things once you're up there in the, in the leadership kind of position i i am curious jill if it, you know we look uh on your journey to Virginia and your, your two-year business degree and starting at help desk. The other side of this is, you know, for our listeners out there, there's folks out there who are just starting out in their career and they're trying to uh, navigate the tech world, right? And the opportunities out there are vast, but you can also kind of get lost, right? And you can end up in positions where maybe you're not learning the right things, you're not growing. 
Um, could you tell me a little bit about how you were able to break into, uh, you know, technology with a non-technical degree and, uh, you know, work your way up to where you are now? If I think back, and you know, this is crazy to think over 30 years in IT, but there, there wasn't the internet and there mm -hmm. weren't laptops, right? So your ability to grow and learn, Matt, you had to put in a lot more effort than you do today. Uh, and so I would go into the office. Uh, I would stay late. I would work the weekends. I would go into the office. There was a software called Ventura Publisher. Uh, that I used in order to do documentation. And it was literally like you stick the disc in, you pull it out, you do the, th it was ridiculous. Well, if you don't have a laptop and you don't have the internet, you're going into the office to learn that. So part of it is putting in your own effort to learn uh, the things around you and just being willing to learn anything around you. Um, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for also setting boundaries and not being willing to put too much into it. I think over the years, I probably spent too much time um, trying to learn and grow. Um, one of the key things that I've always told people is don't be in such a hurry to make it to the top. It's the things you learn in between that will get you where you need to be. And when I talk about answering the phone, right, that's critical listening skills, being able to listen to a New York customer that's upset about their bill uh, and help them through it, not panic. You know, that's critical thinking. All the things in between, analyzing data, hands down, one of the most important skills I learned was how to look at data and, you, and what to trust and what not, not to trust. Data doesn't lie, but data alone is not the story, right? You need more than just what you see to make your estimate of what's going on. So that data piece is really important. Um, the other thing that I think is super important is, you know, you have to make your connections across uh, with people. You always have to stay connected. And um, I've written a couple pieces. I think it's just really important to remember you've got the chalkboard of life, but you also have that connection that you keep. So literally all my bosses uh, in my past, I'm still connected with. You know, my boss from 36 years ago, my boss from 30 years ago, my boss just messaged me. Um, he uh, was at Verizon. Uh, he was let go and he handed me a portion of his job that I was sure I couldn't do. Uh, and we've stayed connected. So that's over 16 years. And he moved on to be like the CIO of Antarctic operations for something right, like super interesting, mm -hmm. but keeping those connections because you can always ask. I, I have gone back to them, you know, as time has passed and asked them questions uh, to try to get clarity on my own leadership style and things to do. So um, it, there's so much, you know, listen, troubleshoot, analyze data. Even though you have the data, you need more than the data. You can't just look at the data and, you know, write an article and say, that's the thing. There's humans behind that data that you need to pay attention to. Um, and never settle. Uh, I mean, I'm just one of those people where if I hang the pictures in the front room and it looks good, six months later, I'm gonna be like, is that rug right? And do those pictures <laughs> need to be placed again? So yeah. when, when we would reach and achieve things, whether it's myself or as a team, there was this constant need and desire to look ahead, right? Because especially in IT, there's the next thing that's coming. What is that? What does it look like? How are we going to manage that? So to never settle, never get comfortable, 
never feel like you've won the day. You can for 10 seconds and then you're like, okay, next thing's coming. What's the next thing? Sure. I think that's important when you, you talked about, you know, your critical listening skills when you're picking up the phone and like even dealing with someone's bill and troubleshooting that, like everything builds Jill, you know, it's like, you're not going to wake up and be a manager, right? You're going to wake up and have to tackle whatever projects in front of you. And you might think it's a mundane task, but people are looking and people are seeing it, you know? Um, so I think some people get frustrated with where they're at, but really it's being present where you are and doing the best you can at the, whatever job you're at right now. And I call it my toolkit, right? Yeah. So I just built my toolkit over the years with all those things. One other thing that's super important mm -hmm. is being able to take all that information. You've got the data, you've vetted it, you know it's right. Be able to take that information and synthesize it into something purposeful, right? People can chart and graph all day long. Yeah. That's not the thing. I would sometimes spend days working on one piece of one element, like making sure that when I put it in front of my whomever my audience is, they understood it, right? They didn't have right. to ask questions. What's this access? What's what, you know, what are you yeah. trying to tell me? It was clear. We're going to save money if we move from this product to this product. Here's how much over what period of time in one concrete thing. It wasn't like a big giant walk of data. I think sometimes people think more slides, the better or more pages, the better. No. And no, and you really have to think about who your audience is. What are you developing for whom? Yes, right? Yeah. If you're developing for the business user, they need something different than executives need, right? So you have to know, and you learn that because each executive is different. You work for somebody long enough and you figure out how they want to see it. And you really try to make sure that they don't have time, right? That you've spent the time in the sausage factory on the back end to pull together that information so that they can make a concrete decision. And the same is true for the business on a different scale, right? You wanna make sure that you've, I call it bringing them along for the ride. If your business users don't understand whatever change you're presenting to them, you're gonna fail, right? So if you're changing something and they don't like it, they'll, get, they'll be okay with it as long as you've partnered with them and they understand. But if you if you don't, it goes back to that, you know, the users were just clicking the step and they didn't know what they needed to do. And I had to ask a bunch of stupid questions about like, what does, you know, soft order commit mean? What does firm order commit mean back in telecom? To, to find out what was wrong, your users have to understand kind of to that degree what they need to do or else, you're going to roll something out and it's probably not going to go well because the users are frustrated and they don't understand how to use it. Mm -hmm. And that, and that is something that I think is extremely important is uh, being able to connect what you're doing to like why it's important to the business, you know, because at the end of the day, um, everyone that's in technology is working for a company, you know, and there is a reason why the company exists <laughs> and you need to understand. And I guess like for the people that are listening, from my perspective, um, the folks that I've talked to, the ones that are able to uh, grow in their career can have an understanding as to why what they're doing is important to the CEO or the, not even the CIO, the CEO and be able to explain that. Um, and I think it also gives you meaning too. Um, so you're not spending to your point, like days putting data together into a graph, <laughs> um, but maybe taking a step back and being like, hey, how would I present this if I were to, you know, share an elevator ride with Dave Duvall, <laughs> yeah. you know, and he said, hey, what have you been up to, you know, 
Um, and I think, I think everybody is your ally. You have to try to have everybody be your ally, right? Especially yep. the business users. You're never going to know. I always try to tell my team, like, I don't know what the tax people's job is. I don't know what the lawyers do. I don't know what the research teams do. I don't, you're never going to know those specific things that they do. And anytime you're pushing out an IT change that's like, and I'm going to use an operating system update as an example, because sometimes those can take hours, right? Yeah. Nobody wants that. Mm -hmm. you, you can't talk your users into this is going to be amazing for you. It's not. There's nothing amazing about that. It's just yeah. a technical thing that has to happen, right? So you just say it out loud. This is going to suck. It's going to take four hours. We're here for you. If you need anything, let us know. I'm sorry we're getting in the way because that's what's happening, right? Yeah. You've got a job to do. I'm getting in your way. I'm going to say so. I'm going to apologize for it. And then we're just going to make it happen together. And, and people generally will accept that, whether it's an operating system update, a change to um, some enterprise tool that, you know, like when we rolled out Okta, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody wants that. That's ridiculous. So we, we were like, okay, let's drive people to want this. We're going to have a sweepstakes. So if you come and let us load this on your phone early, you can get an Apple TV. I mean, people went bananas, right? You can have a cupcake. I always say cupcake and hug them, right? You can't, can't hug them anymore, but you can, <laughs> right? you can yeah. come and get a cupcake. People will come. It, it, they don't even have to know about the change, right? Just let us do the change for you. But people will come if they know that they're, you know, it's a soft place to land and you're there for them. Right. It's like tricking them. I call it the Trojan horse theory, right? Oh. Where you're like, I'm coming to you with change. You're not even going to know it. But you're going to like love the attention that you're going to get and the cupcakes. Yeah, I like that. Um, so, uh, Jill, you are obviously um, a successful leader and you're also a woman. And uh, we're in a world where uh, there's not as many people or there's not a, a lot of women in IT. Right. And um, I would love you, uh, like, as we talked about this, I think you, you said something specific when you were working help desk that you, it was you and another girl that were uh, fighting over who can pick up the phone faster. Um, would love to hear any advice that you have um, for women who are pursuing a career in technology. You know, you think back uh, for the amount of time that I've been in IT and I feel like um, over the years, I've developed a suit of armor, right? Mm -hmm. When I have a seat at the table with my peers, with my vendor partners, with whatever, when you're negotiating, negotiating multi-million dollar deals, there's rarely a woman in the room, right? You are kind of up against it. And so you developed, uh, I, I think, a hardness uh, mm -hmm. uh, over all these years. I'd like to think for women, it's gotten easier and they don't need a, a, a full suit of armor anymore. They just yeah. need a shield. Uh, I always say, don't let it stick to you. They just need a shield to hold up. They'd be like, yeah, that's yours. That's not mine. I'm not going to let that impact me. Um, so I think part of it is uh, it's gotten easier. I'd, I'd like to think that it's gotten easier. Um, the other thing is just being honest. You'll hear often in the world about imposter syndrome. Uh, and a lot of women suffer from that. I suffer from that, right? I'm not smart enough. I'm a fraud, et cetera. I just said it out loud. People need to be out loud about it. It's okay, right? It's okay if I feel like I'm not as confident as I should be or I don't know as much as I should. I can learn. I think the primary thing I would say to women is you're enough, right? It's enough. Whatever 
the stage you're at, whatever you've done, it's enough, right? Stop beating yourself up about it. Just continue to learn and grow, but you are enough. And I think that's really hard for women because they're always multitasking and trying to solve, you know, boil the ocean with the kids and the everything else. Yeah, right. Having gone through all of that, and now my sons are grown, uh, and I, I always say I'm on easy street. Uh, you know, I can look back at my career, and I wish that I would have had somebody say it's enough. Right? You don't have to keep pressing yourself. Uh, you know enough. You're enough. You'll continue to learn. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's important uh, that you're voicing that. And I guess I haven't, when I look back at, uh, you know, my, my tenure so far in tech, um, I have some very good, like, friends, right? And they happen to be guys. And uh, we are always, like, pushing ourselves individually, right? And I, I think uh, my girlfriend said it to me yesterday that I'm my own hardest critic, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I have found it extremely helpful to be able to have friends that you know are friends first and they happen to be in my industry and we can kind of confine in each other and we can have true conversations and talk about like what's good and what's not good and and when you're feeling comfortable and uncomfortable and advice and things like that and i think it's even more important for for women and i, I love um and my listeners out there, they, they, the, the folks that I've worked with, um, you know, I've been, I've been managed by three different women and I, I still keep them in my, you know, in my, in my close circle and talk to them quite a bit. And I, I love the fact that technology and IT is becoming a little bit more like it, it, there's a push to be more diverse. And I think there's definitely um, a lot to be said about having a different perspective and they bring a unique, um, like, like, you know, vibe to uh, the work world. Um, so I'm glad that you are uh, on this podcast, Jill, and you can talk about that. And, um, you know, I, I do hope that it is true that that shield that you had uh, or that armor that you just had can become more of a shield, right? And it doesn't need to be as hard as it was before. I almost feel like I don't even need a shield anymore, yeah. right? Like Good. I feel like um, I've learned to manage and cope with whatever and i can see it coming right that chalkboard of life thing yes yeah. whatever um so i feel like i don't even need that anymore um i also in leading discovery allowed me the opportunity to take a lot of seminars and you know do things that i i didn't get to do before and i was talking with um one of the coaches that i've been um sitting alongside and she had great perspective i feel like you know, companies can benefit from having um, coaches come in from the outside, yeah, totally help coach, mm -hmm. not only women, but any dynamic, you know, yep. that's going on in a company. I think it's very beneficial. Um, it's always good to get like an outsider's point of view. I, I always say you need your circle of trust internally. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to have those people, like you said, that you can talk to and really be honest with, uh, but it's always good to get that outside perspective as well so that you have sort of all the bases covered. Yeah, there's not as many blind spots. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a big thing that I've found is because I've, I've worked for organizations that have brought in coaches and I've found them super helpful is like your own self-awareness, right? And because uh, there's the people that you spend time with every single day and they might be, you know, close to you, but there's a, there's a world out there that is um, vast and awesome and like beautiful and uh, you only see a small chunk of it. So I think, uh, you know, soliciting advice from mentors as well as uh, people who are coaching 
individuals in various stages of their career is super helpful. Um, I call it being in the sauce when you're in the sauce, right? Mm -hmm. And you've been in the sauce. Yep. It's great to be able to get out of it a little bit. And like you said, there's a whole vast world out there and get a different perspective. It's super helpful. Yep. So Joe, it's great having you on. There's a few things that I would just want to, I guess, voice right from our discussion and uh, four things here, right? One, data, 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 and hold, hold, hold. I thought that was interesting. The second one, zest for life. Um, and then chase, obviously. But third, uh, I love the chalkboard of life, the, the do's and the don't do's. And then fourth, uh, connections that you keep. Um, Jill, as we wrap up here, is there anything that you would like to uh, speak to our listeners about or tell our listeners before we uh, wrap it up for the day and uh, you know continue on with our Wednesday? I mean, the only thing I can think of is just that, you know, you said at last the connectedness. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that is one of the most important things uh, that exists. It's something I'm focused on right now uh, in trying to draw companies together. Um, you know, you take a, I'm working with a, a local company right now and they had some minor needs with website uh, and portfolio needs that I will connect them with somebody locally to help them with that. I'm good at, again, as a problem solver or as a you know, thought leader, like tell me what's going on. I've been in IT long enough, I can help you with that. And then the next thing is like, oh, by the way, have you thought about all the platform, You know, just the basic IT things you should have in place in your company, no matter how small or large you are. And let me connect you with those local companies that can help. So part of it and, and one of the gentlemen was like well am i you know going to be behind the scenes i'm like oh no you're going to work directly with the customer i'm just here to make those connections mm -hmm. so that there's a good healthy you know amount of people here in knoxville and beyond knoxville that can work together so that connectedness not only you know from a business setting but from that human aspect right yes i had deep connections or tried to establish deep connections with everybody on my team. I can remember sitting with finance at one point, we went through like almost all 300 people. And he's like, is this person in your team? This, and we got done and he's like, you knew everybody. I'm like, I did. I knew that. I might not know everything about you, but I know everybody on my team, right? So keep those connections, no matter how big or small your team is, because if you don't know who's working for you, then you don't know, right? And you don't know who's, you know, got the opportunity to grow or, you know, if it's a toxic environment, who, who needs to be let go or whatever. So yeah. all those things, connectedness is the most important, the rest fall in line, but really like data all day long. But yeah, again, right, right. you can't just take the data. You have to be able to take that data and ask the questions around it to know that you've got your facts straight. Thanks, That's it. Jim. Yeah. So uh, to our listeners out there, the goal is that we bring on folks like Jill um, that can help provide advice and value uh, as you navigate your career. Um, Jill, I think we've had a great discussion this morning. Really appreciate your time. Um, and I look forward to staying connected with you. Always. I mean, you know, we're going to take pictures when we're old together. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. All right. All right yeah, thanks, I Jill. appreciate the opportunity. Oh, yeah, it's great having you on. Have a great rest All right, of the day. Take care. Bye.